This is Power Aesthetic Podcast number five. I'm wishing you good morning right now from Orlando, Florida. My brother Matthias and I are both down here to compete in the Masters World Championship of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So we are down here getting our minds and bodies ready for the competition. And that feeds really well into what I wanted to talk about today and what I sent out to you in Wednesday's email, which is the idea of consonants. Uh, Competing in a world championship was not something that I thought I would be doing towards the beginning of this year. Um, I'd had a lot of injuries and I'd been off the mats for almost, I guess, between six and eight months. Um, Before that, I'd been consistently on the mats for about three and a half or four years as I had moved toward and gotten my blue belt. And uh, after I turned 34, I guess, I, I just started having a lot more problems with various things, shoulders, knees, back, on and on and on. And I didn't get back to training jujitsu until August of this year, after a, a pretty lengthy time off the mats from a a disc issue that I'd had in my back. So, you know, competing in jiu-jitsu late in the year was kind of the furthest thing from my mind, but I was able to get back on the mats and get about three or four months of good training under my belt. And so now I'm back in the competition circuit. I'd never been much for competitive jiu-jitsu. I've only competed a handful of times. Uh, I didn't consider myself to be that interested in competitive jiu-jitsu and mostly just like to train. But got encouraged by my brother to get out there and test myself against a lot of the other blue belts since I've had my blue belt now for a while. And, uh, you know, when your, your coaches and stuff are telling you to do something, you just go do it. Which brings us into this idea of consonants that we talked about in this week's email. There are a lot of things that you can do when you are sort of training something on a more hobby level that don't make as much sense when you're training it a little bit more seriously. So right now I, I train jujitsu five or six days a week. Uh, that is not even close to as much as some, a lot of the guys I know are training multiple times a day. Um, especially the younger guys who it's just absolutely crazy to watch these days when you go out there to a competition and see just the level of skill and commitment in, in some of the young guys is, and, and older guys is, is truly incredible to watch. But there are things that, are dissonant with one another. And one of the things that was dissonant was that when I got back on the mats, I had just been training with weights due to some injuries. Uh, A lot of people think that lifting heavy is hard on the body, but those people should get into (laughs) jujitsu and see the difference. Jujitsu grappling can be really, really hard on your body, Uh, more, more so for me than weightlifting ever was. And so weightlifting, I can always work around injuries. Jiu-Jitsu for me has been a lot harder to do that. And so when I came back to the mats, I was about 205 pounds. And at my height, which is about two foot six, um, I'm five I'm seven. So 205 on my frame is a lot. And I came back on the mats and just thought, man, this isn't it. I knew I was going to have to lose a bunch of weight because being a 205 pound you know, hobbyist power lifter is not consonant with being competitive jujitsu player. So I knew I needed to lose weight. So I lost uh, 20 pounds in pretty short order uh, just to be able to get back to training in a way that I would consider to be serious. You know, I also changed a lot of my other habits, things that 
you can get away with when you're just lifting weights for a hobby, for enjoyment, or, or part of your, um, for me, weights are certainly, I would consider part of my overall practice, my, my overall spiritual practice, my yoga, my sadhana, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can get away with more. And so I had to cut away a lot of other stuff as well. And it took sitting down and asking myself, what is consonant with where I'm trying to go right now with the the piece of art that I'm trying to, you know, to paint or create and what is dissonant, what looks like it shouldn't be here, which brush strokes are not complementary to the picture as a whole. And so I think it's, it's very valuable for us from time to time to take these self-examinations, sort of audit uh, where we are, not just with what we're doing, our habits or anything like that, but, you know, where we're spending our money, um, how we're spending our time, our most precious resource, and what we're engaging in. And when we look at those things, do they speak to the piece of art that we claim to be trying to create or do they, do they speak to another type of work? So we have to stay on this all the time. And we always have to look for these little dissonant pieces because those little pieces of dissonance, those little notes that are out of the scale, out of key, out of harmony, can really make for a jarring piece of music when they're thrown in there unintentionally or or against the will of the composer or, you know, nothing is really against your will when you're doing it, you know, but that if it's not your intention to have this piece of dissonance in there, then it's your responsibility to root it out. So, you know, if you say my my highest goal is to be a good dad, but you're spending four nights a week, you know, out betting on the racetrack or whatever, whatever your your habits are that are taking you away from what you know to be a better expression of good fatherhood or whatever that is, you know, you got to cut those pieces of dissonance out and, and honestly say to yourself, these are not the actions of someone who claims that this is his highest goal. So figure out what your goal is and then audit and and remove all these pieces of dissonance, these incorrect brush strokes that surround it. One of the other things that that really struck me when I came back to training was that I had sort of regressed into this kind of, you know, spazzy white belt uh, is the cliche where, you know, I was making grips way too hard again. I was brawling on every roll, um, you know, way too uptight and way too tense and, and using way too much strength in, in situations where I wasn't even necessarily consciously doing it. And we, we started using a lot of techniques at Devotion to sort of rid all the people of this. Uh, we have a lot of new white belts there and stuff. And so we started doing, you know, the eyes closed flow rolling. And it's really incredible to watch how something that is just sort of a, a brawl, an, an exercise in aggression with, you know, sometimes very little technique can turn into something really graceful when you turn it into an act of meditation in a deliberate way and then watching how turning that into an act of meditation deliberately using specific techniques can allow that to cross over and then you'll see people start doing that during their eyes open rolls even when they're not flow rolling it becomes more calm you can see that their minds are are a lot clearer are a lot freer from being freer from attachment because even though that sounds like you know a super eastern be free from attachment kind of idea the in jiu-jitsu in grappling but you know as i say on all of these but also in life 
But, but everywhere in our lives, this idea of getting attached to what we want rather than what's presenting itself, we can miss out on a lot of opportunities uh, by staying fixated on what we want, on what we're trying to muscle our way toward rather than seeing the doors that are open to us in the first place. And in grappling, this is very common and, and I'm still as a, as an, you know, novice jujitsu guy, still very guilty of this, that we hang on and we keep bullying toward this one desired goal with, with total aggression and frustration when we're not getting our way and, and on the way there to what ultimately winds up becoming a failed goal, we miss all these other opportunities that are just right in our face that are probably much better opportunities. And so by meditating and turning the, the role into an active meditation, the grappling into an active meditation, your life into an active meditation, we can stop being so obsessed with this tunnel vision attachment to stuff and we can start to be a little bit more fluid when our minds are a lot more clear and not so attached on one thing it's not that we become removed from life it's that we become more aware of all of what's going on around us because we are calmly contemplating instead of being aggressively focused on this one tiny point and this goes for you know, the next section of the email, too, where I'd, I'd put in the Joseph Campbell quote about joyfully participating in the sorrows of the world. There's, there's probably some clarity needed there for some. And, and I read that quote uh, quite a while ago. And then I actually saw it mentioned again in, uh, in the show, The Sopranos. Um, they, they dropped the quote in there in, in one of Tony's uh, psychology sessions and it reminded me that I'd read I was like you know where have I read that and I started looking it up and remembered it was a Joseph Campbell quote and when he says this this idea he, he sort of combines a Nietzsche a Nietzschean um, you know yes to life in with this where he's saying life is full of suffering and, and life may be as the as a lot of the Eastern philosophy saying life may be suffering entirely but what are our options our options are either to find a way to participate in those sorrows joyfully and to know that the suffering is as valuable of a teacher as anything, you know, pain and experience are wonderful gurus. There are very few situations in this life. As my, one of my jujitsu coaches says, there are very few situations in this life where we grow that are not painful in which we do not suffer. And I think that, you know, like I like I said in the video that I did on, on pain, uh, you can find over on my YouTube channel. The the point is not to get attached. The point is not to make grips on these sorrows and hold on to them to a point of obsession, but to be able to view life as this active walking meditation where we are participating fully, but that we understand that a great deal of this is still going to be suffering. And that will participate joyfully by giving that holy yes to life in order to never be defeated by these sorrows, but to experience them as kind of this form of ultimate teacher, where each time we experience them, the suffering that they produce in us will be less in many ways, because lots of the things that produce suffering are trigger points that we allow to create suffering, frustration, anxiety, fear, and so on. And other things are just going to hurt. Um, loss is always going to hurt. 
whether that's the death of a loved one or, you know, the undesired dissolution of a relationship or a romantic involvement, a betrayal, uh, these things are always going to hurt. It's very difficult to mitigate and say, oh, well, I just won't allow these things to hurt me anymore. We can do that with, with many things, with sort of different tactics and techniques, lessening our anxiety, lessening our fear, lessening, lessening our anger. But the things that hurt badly and deeply are always going to hurt badly and deeply, but we always come through them if we allow ourselves to release our grips we will come through them stronger because we will have learned something because we start to meditate on them. We contemplate what we can learn from them and we take them as lessons instead of wounds. And I think that that idea of, of changing our, our perspective to, to suffering and to pain and to hurt and understanding them less as a deep wound that is going to be healed over with scar tissue and saying, this is just a lesson that I'll learn from and that ultimately I'll turn the page and move on after having learned the lesson. I won't forget the lesson, but I don't need to read the lesson over and over and over again obsessively. The final quote in the email is a, a piece from Vivekananda who talks about the singularity of, of idea, the singularity of action. I have seen more people crippled by the suffocation of too many options, the suffocation of too many choices than people who never had a choice. In, in this day and age, it can be so difficult to find a path and walk the entirety of it without being distracted by, you know, the thousand lights of illusion that are everywhere trying to pull us from the path. And the people that I see that are often the most impressive, the most successful, uh, the most wealthy, the most fit are the ones who have been able to take a very extreme approach to whatever it was that they decided was the idea that their life was going to revolve around. When people hear this this idea, oh, well, only one idea, oh, I can only lift weights, or I can only do jujitsu, or I can, no. To have a central idea and dedicate yourself completely to that is the entire concept of what we're talking about here with the power aesthetic. It's to make your life revolve around one overarching idea. It's to say, I will... I will be a work of art in which all things come together to reinforce the central feeling, the central expression. So when I lift weights, it's not a deviation from jujitsu. It is to inform the jujitsu or both the strength training and the jujitsu are to inform something else that's even more central, that's even more at the core of my idea. I, I cannot be a 300 pound power lifter and also do jujitsu well, I have to make everything be a note in a harmonious scale that drives all the other concepts forward because they are all revolving around this central thing, you know, like a DNA helix. There's all these little things that make it up, but it all has this tight core that it revolves around and spins around. And so we have to look at things in the same way where we say it's not that we can only have this one idea. Oh, well, sorry, I'm completely devoted to my business. That's all. And with the power aesthetic, 
it's included in its name. The concept is to be powerful. The concept is to be strong. It's to be powerful across the four pillars, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, the temporal. And it's to use certain techniques, principles, and precepts in order to reinforce that central nature where we do not get so tied up in obsession with only physical power that we miss how should we be training our minds? How should we be training our spirits? Because all of these areas must reinforce the central concept of power, of discipline, of control, of the ability to do. So when we look at Vivekananda's quote, we can see a reinforcement here for this developing power aesthetic, which is that every action that I undertake, I need to audit it. And I need to ask myself, is this the action of an individual who is striving toward ever more successfully power, control, and discipline over the self, discipline over the mind, discipline over the spirit, discipline over the physical form and and our practices there, discipline over the temporal. This is what we want. So we perform these audits to know, yes, I'm moving forward in a correct direction. Yes, I have embraced this concept and as the quote says i have taken up one idea i've made that one idea my life i think of it i dream of it i live on that idea i let my brain my muscles my nerves every part of my body be full of that idea and i just leave every other idea alone because i know that this is the way to success i hope you appreciated this one and that you enjoyed it um i will touch base with you next week hopefully with uh a couple of medals to come home with for both me and my brother. If you enjoyed this, as I recommend in each one, I'd appreciate if you'd click that support button and make a monthly pledge of 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Otherwise, just share the podcast with people who might enjoy it, and I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one.